Welcome to the Food Connected Podcast. This is Lonnie Sweet, the CEO of the Connect Group. On today's episode, we have Charles Duke, who is the managing director of the French Dairy Board. Um, I love me some cheese. So getting into a conversation with Charles is really fun. Um, talking about the the idea of the difference between the American consumer and a French consumer, um, how the French Dairy Board is um, marketing and trying to increase consumption of cheese in the U.S., their partnership with the U.S. Open Series, and a whole bunch more. So I uh, hope you enjoy, and um, have a great one. All right, welcome everybody to the Food Connected Podcast. This is Lonnie Sweet. Uh, I'm really excited today to have Charles Duke uh, with us, who is the managing director of the French Dairy Board. Uh, Charles and I had a couple conversations last year uh, when I was doing my uh, my French outreach for Chef Ludo Lefebvre um, and some of the things we were doing with him. Um, as I dug into their business and, and started learning a little bit more about what they did um, as a French dairy board as a whole, it just it just intrigues me. And so uh, I'm super appreciative to have you on today with me, Charles, and uh, and thanks. Good morning, Lonnie. Thanks for having me. Yeah, man, it's great. So now you're, you're living in New York City, right? Yes, I'm based in New York. It's a far cry from, uh, quite from a France. Bit. Yeah. It is, yeah, but I'm American, and I was born here in New York, so it's home for me. Oh, you were? Oh, I didn't realize yeah. that. Did, did you live in, in France at all? I did, yeah. I lived in France uh, back in my 20s, uh, early 20s. I was there for uh, a little over four years. Ah, interesting. But uh, I want to get into just kind of the first part of what we do, but I got a funny story for you about uh, Ludo and, and 23andMe, which I think you'll appreciate. Uh, you know, why don't I tell you it right now? So... I know we talked about Ludo, right, who is, you know, again, born in Burgundy, you know, is very, very French, right? Like, he's got a super French accent, even though he's been here for 20 years. He just totally identifies with being French, right? Like, everything about him. So we've yeah. always kind of made, not made fun, but, like, poked fun at him saying, man, I, I wonder what would happen if we did a 23andMe test. Like, I wonder if you'd actually come back French. Um, and we kind of always just gave him a hard time about it, so... We, uh, I reached out to 23andMe and wanted to see if they, they wanted to participate in that, that digital series, Ludo et la Maison, right? And so as part mm-hmm. of that, we had him do a 23andMe DNA test, um, which I think, I think we could all probably assume, right? Like Europeans, especially if you date back hundreds and hundreds of years, you're all kind of from the same place, right? Relatively mm-hmm. speaking, right? You're not really just from France. Anyway, it came back that he was... Um, only 25% French, like DNA wise. <laughs> and so, you know, we got it on video. The, the whole We designed the whole series of 23andMe, or of Ludo et la Maison around where he was from. So, like, each episode was from a different country. One was from Belgium, one was from, you know, Great Britain, one was from Italy. Um, and we, we brought on people accordingly. But, like, to see his face when he first opened up those DNA results was, it was amazing. Absolutely amazing. Was he disappointed? I think he was, um, yeah, I think he was disappointed, <laughs> for sure. I mean, you know how you know how the French and the British kind of have their, their back and forth. So to see that he had, you know, 25% of him were was, you know, kind of British, Irish, like Great Britain area, uh, yeah. I think that uh, he was, I don't know if disappointed is the right word, but I think he was a little bit shocked. Uh, and, it, mm-hmm. and it took some time to settle in for sure. Yeah, gotcha. funny. 
Anyway, uh, yeah. not to start that off that way, but what I'd love to do, Charles, is if you can give uh, like a quick background on, on who you are and what the what the French Dairy Board is all about, uh, and then part two of this, which is what I like to do with all of our guests, is um, just kind of get an understanding of what being food connected means to you. Well, I like I said, I lived in France for a while, then came back to New York, and I started my uh, my career uh, a little bit by accident in the food industry. Uh, I was hired at a, a very high-end uh, luxury French company because the director didn't speak French, and she needed someone who spoke French in order to communicate with uh, headquarters. And so I was hired there. It was actually Petrosian Caviar. And uh, I started working in their um, uh, partnerships with uh, high-end retailers like uh, Neiman Marcus and Bloomingdale's and things like that. And then kind of from there moved on to import-exporting, moved on to uh, opening up subsidiaries for French food companies in the U.S., and then I was uh, at the French Trade Commission for five years where I helped um, quite a number of French companies come into the country and and, and export to the U.S., finding uh, importers, distribution, et cetera, so helping them build partnerships here in the U.S., um, and then that's where I started working with the French Dairy Board, helping them put in place campaigns to to raise awareness on French uh, cheese. At the time, it was only French cheese. And we communicated as such with uh, a brand called the Cheeses of France. Yep. And, um, you know, from there, I worked with them. I then went into one of the cheese companies, and I was there for a few years. And finally, so, so uh, I was working... That's where, um, no, now I work for them directly for the French Dairy Board. Ah, uh, gotcha. Okay. Yeah. And, and so that's pretty awesome. Listen, I think everybody understands, or at least I hope everybody understands, that the best um, dairy products come from France. Right? I, I, don't, I don't think that's Thank you. A, an I argument, agree. Right? But again, <laughs> I think anybody that knows, again, maybe, maybe that's changed, you know, some um over the years maybe there's better terroir some other places that are again i don't know if that's in the states or if it's in you know the napa region or if there's other areas but i I think it's pretty widely known that french cheese and french butter is vastly better than everywhere else in the world yeah i would say that um you know france still is the reference when it comes to uh cheese in particular and no other country in europe or elsewhere has the diversity has uh you know the, the different family types that france has france has over 1,200 cheeses right now uh, in, you know, soft ripened, hard, blue, et cetera. Nobody, no other country has so many different types. Now, are those like family farms when you say types, or they're actually types of cheeses? No, they're, they're not types of cheeses. Uh, there's, let's say, I think there's like seven families, let's say, uh, of types of cheeses. Right. But And then they would go into each of the type of families. So soft ripened cheeses, uh, hard pressed cooked uh blues etc right and so the french dairy board is it is it is it like a commodity board in which these cheese brands or farmers pay into kind of a marketing fund that you then go out and uh leverage in the states is that how it works right so i represent all of this all of french dairy uh beginning with the producers who are you know, the dairy farmers who right. are all over france uh there's uh uh, approximately 75,000 of them. They each have small herds, probably around 50 heads. Um, I also represent uh, the cooperatives, which are groups of dairy farmers right. that sell to a particular mm-hmm. company. 
that transforms the milk into dairy products that we all know, like cheese, butter, creams, uh, etc. And then I represent the industry, which is uh, the big multinational corporations that transform the milk. Uh, some of the biggest uh, in the world are actually French companies, right. uh, such as uh, Lactalis, Avencia, um Etc. Yeah, I had an opportunity to work with Savencia um, the last couple of years. They're a great company, massive. Yeah. Again, I, I yeah. don't, I don't think as as an American we understand how large those companies actually are. Yeah, because they're, um, you know, in different countries they're perceived in different ways. Right. Uh, like Talis, for instance, goes <clears throat> into different countries and they buy a lot of the dairy uh, industry, so they're producing locally. Right. And they're producing local product under their local brands. So most people don't know it's a, it's a French company. Yeah, which I think is a really interesting marketing challenge for them and for you guys, right? Like the idea that, you know, perception of what, again, let's just use Savencia or one of the other brands, means in Europe versus the way that it means here and the way that consumers in Europe or France are consuming cheese or consuming products here. I mean, everything from, <clears throat> I remember having a conversation with them about like, hey, do you put a chef's face on packaging here in the U.S., it doesn't really work, but maybe it really works in Europe or in France or some of these other other markets that are non-American markets. So I, I think it's really interesting to understand kind of the the psychology behind, you know, a, a European consumer versus an American consumer. Yeah, I think they've done a good job as far as going into other countries because they're not coming in as a French company trying to impose their way of eating or their types of cheeses. In my case, right. They're going in, they're, they're sticking to what people know in each uh, local market. They continue to produce it. They're bringing in their know-how. They're bringing in new technology in order to make you know, safer products uh, in each country. So it's, um, you know, it works for them. Yeah. It's funny. You it's still... a challenge for me, I'll tell you that much, because you... I'm, I need to promote cheeses and butters made with French milk. Right. So the challenge for me is to make sure that what I'm talking about here is product that is in the case of the United States, is imported from Europe. Right, so you just want you want general consumption to grow, not necessarily specific to a brand. Right, exactly. Um, all of our marketing efforts here are generic, so they represent the French dairy industry. Right. Uh, I promote right. cheese, I promote butter, but brands are secondary. Right. I'm promoting the and raising awareness on the know-how, on production, on taste, Right. On quality, things like that. The, the same way that the, the egg board here or the peanut board or the almond board would do it in the States. You're doing the same type of thing, unbranded exactly. marketing initiatives that are aimed at just driving consumption, right? Because at the end of the day, the more people consume stuff, the more they're buying from the farmers, the more that you know you guys are, that they're benefiting. Because those are really your end client, right? Are the farmers in France? Yeah, those are my bosses in a way. And, right. um, you know, to compare it to what's going on in the States, I mean, I'm like the milk marketing board in Wisconsin. I'm like the California right. milk marketing board, which are doing, you know, they're doing their own initiatives. The most famous here in the U.S. was the uh, the milk mustache, yeah. which everybody knows about. So those are the type of um, initiatives that I'm doing. Yeah. yeah. So uh, it's awesome. Um, so tell me what uh, what is food connected or what does a food connected consumer mean to you? Well, you know, living in New York, I am lucky to have um, and to be able to access food from all over the world. So right. uh, for me, everybody here is connected to the entire world through through cuisine, through food. Um, I think that more and more people around the country are as well through the Internet, 
through cooking shows, et cetera. So uh, for us, we see the, the demand not only in the U.S., but in other markets that I manage in Latin America, for instance, mm-hmm. where the demand is there from a certain clientele that people have, you know, people travel now and people experience new new flavors, new cuisines, and they want to find that here at home and, right. and share them with their friends. Yeah. yeah, I think the openness, you know, for me, I think the openness to – maybe not even the openness, maybe just the curiosity, right, to know more and to ask an additional question or two, right? Like I think maybe 15 years ago, the idea of, you know, Whole Foods having, you know, a cheese expert, you know, at their counter, I I don't think existed. I don't think it was needed, right? But now they're running commercials with, you know, the idea that there's actually a fromage expert, you know, at Whole Foods. And I I think people are, are more open to ask a question, right? Like what's the difference between this or that? And what are the, you know, not that it's like wine, but in a lot of ways, you know, cheeses have flavor profiles and they have, um, you know, different. Terroir. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It actually is a lot of similarities between cheese and wine and chocolate and tea. And, you know, there's a similarities in all these products that come from the land. So, um, I, I talk about that often when, depending on what, you know, the person I have in front of me, or we create different partnerships where we have pairings with tea, with whiskey, with, um, you know, even tequila, <laughs> which uh, has stories that are very uh, similar to what's happening in the cheese industry as well. Old school stories, right? Like family farms old school. producing. Yeah, right? old school stories, but also new stories where, you know, the children don't necessarily want to take over the farm anymore. Right. Uh, the kids have gone, uh, studied um something else and they don't want to get up at four o'clock in the morning to milk the cows so all that are you know also modern stories that are happening where people are not being able to uh, leave the their 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 company or their farm to uh their their kids yeah this is totally off subject and not related to marketing but what's the again i think that in the u.s right politically we're dealing with a lot for these farmers and it's getting harder and harder for them to make a buck, like what is it? And I know Europe, especially France, is a lot different because they've got a certain level of respect and need for farmers over there. But what's the business like for farmers, for dairy farmers specifically in in France? It's just as tough. It's just yeah. as tough. They're not making ends meet. Uh, they're getting. Uh, they're not being paid paid their fair share. It's actually a topic that's very in you know in the media right now in france right and so there we're creating actually at the, at the french dairy board uh they're bringing in a fourth representative you know i mentioned the dairy farmer i mentioned the cooperatives and the industry now we're bringing in retail oh, and that's something that's new um because we've <clears throat> realized that you know we have the dairy farmer we have the companies that are buying the milk from the dairy farmer and then the retailers that are buying the, product, the finished product. And everybody seems to be making a buck except for the dairy farmer, which um, is a shame. Do you think is underpaid? Yeah. So by bringing in retail, we're kind of um, uh, bringing in all the players of the industry together for them to be able to come up with uh, fair pricing for everyone. Right. It's, it's small bat because I haven't spent time in France before, but I know that here in the States you got, you know, again, local farms that are delivering, you know, fresh, um, you know, fresh milk or fresh cream or fresh cheeses directly to restaurants and are kind of, I don't know, surpassing and going around, at least from a, uh, from a direct-to-restaurant perspective, right? And they're mentioning the farms on their menus, and, it, and it's become, you know, a pretty standard localized, right, business. Is that the same in France? 
Um, cheese is having a renaissance in France. I think consumption at home has gone down, but uh, many restaurants are bringing back uh, the cheese board or the cheese cart. Right. Um, but it, it remains, um, I would say, lower consumption than in the States right now, or in America in general. How about the U.S.? Is cheese consumption up in the U.S.? Yeah, cheese consumption in America, and I meant, you know, I mentioned America, meaning North and South America, is, um, you know, up and up. It's been, in the U.S., it's been going up for the past, I'd say, you know, 15, 20 years. Uh, cheese is very in style. It's also growing um, in notoriety in Latin America with a growing uh, middle-class population that has uh, the buying power now to uh, indulge in those types of products. Right. So we see it more and more everywhere. Interesting. So, so that brings yeah. me to that next question, right? Like, how do you... How do you bring it to market and get people to choose, you know, a French or a European cheese over an American cheese? Like, how do you guys break down analyzing how to actually change consumer um, thoughts and consumer purchasing habits? Well, you know, I think that uh, in most countries in, in America where um, these are big countries, they have big markets, there's really uh, a place for everyone. So we're not trying to impose uh, anything onto, onto the customer, but rather give them more options. That would be the first give, time from a French uh, company, by the way. What do you mean? <laughs> French are very forceful. You're trying to, to impose? Right. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, well, we're not trying to impose. I mean, here right. we're trying to give customers you know, more, more variety. We're trying to give retailers uh, more product to sell and put on their shelves which are products that, you know, American consumers are looking for. So uh, there is a demand for it. So, how, you know, our, our campaigns are to raise awareness. I, mean, I think that's number one. And then through awareness comes the consumption. Right. So it's not easy. I mean, uh, in, in this, we're, we are the number one market for French cheese in the world. So the U.S. is oh. very important. Um, we're shipping, I believe, 75 million tons of cheese. So it's something that's uh, important here, and there's, and obviously important for Europe. Right. So what's going on is that on the on the coasts, I think people are more aware of what's going on with cheese. They they have more. Um, uh, there, there are more places to buy cheese. You mentioned Whole Foods. You mentioned here in New York, we have a lot of cheese shops. Yeah. Um, all along the East Coast, there's a lot of cheese shops. Along the West Coast, there's even more. So the the options are out there. Yeah, Obviously, it's... speaking to your cheesemonger, they can help you, guide you through uh, your choices and, and to find something that's new and exciting. Um, I think that in the U.S. also, the American Cheese Society has done a very good job in raising awareness of cheese and crediting or accrediting these uh, retailers and, and these people that work in, in the retail world to bring them to a certain level of knowledge and, and create... Um, programs that really uh, disperse this knowledge and, and give everybody the same tools right. uh, to be able to communicate on cheese uh, to a consumer that's looking for more information. Um, so what are we doing? We're, we're doing, I do a lot of uh, different things. Uh, I, I would categorize them into four different pillars, I'd say. I have the European funded campaigns, which are funded by the European Union. I have uh, our own funded campaigns, which are funded by the the dairy board. Yep. Um, I have the a brick and mortar space called the French Cheese Board, which is in Manhattan. Which looks awesome, by the that way. That we use. Oh, you've been? I have not. I just saw it online. It looks oh. really amazing. Oh, great! It's very nice. Yeah. 
Uh, so we're we're there now. We're we're soon going to be celebrating our three years, and that's a space that we use uh, to do a lot of media events. And then I work with uh, a lot of different partners to create, you know, call to create pairings to create uh, awareness in general about the cheeses. Right. So in all of these different pillars, uh, it depends on on what you know, where the funding is coming from and how we communicate. I think that um, for the European programs where I have the most amount of money, uh, Europe has put in place for 2019 95 billion euros in, um, in funding, um, which is a lot of money to disperse between different programs around the world. Right. Uh, yeah. So our program in the U.S. is called Cheeses of Europe, and it is a program that uh, reaches the consumer in different ways. Uh, activities include you know, PR events, so we have a website, social right. media, uh, a mobile app, advertising, you know, promotional material, we do events, sponsorships, and um, a lot of uh, in-store demos. And, and that's so the one I think, that's partnered with the yeah. U.S. Open Series. Yeah, the sponsorship would be the U.S. Open Series. So we're okay. sponsoring them for all of the U.S. Open um tournaments uh, in different cities around the country so last year we did five different cities this year we're doing four they dropped one of them and um the idea is at each of these spaces where we're reaching at least uh you know ten thousand people in certain cases where they're coming in they're tasting the cheese they're learning about it we give away um goodies we give them opportunities to take selfies with uh uh, a giphy a giphy machine we have there so we try to make it fun educational and, and obviously tasty right you know, giving them ideas for recipes things like that so how how does that listen i think the u.s open series is awesome right but my my guess is you probably have a slew of options right you probably went through whatever i'm sure everybody in there and the mother is calling you guys for <laughs> dollars when they start to see that you're spending some money like, why the U.S. Open? What what made it appealing, you know, compared to other properties that might have the same amount of people there? Well, we're in, in France, we've been working a lot on affinity groups. And one of the affinity groups, or, or the group that we've always targeted in the U.S. has been a younger demographic, because younger people are just more adventurous. Uh, right. They're willing to t- try new things. They're willing to taste new things. And so we were looking at... Um, you know, historically, we've been doing this now for, I would say, seven to nine years in the U.S., where we've been doing a lot of pop-up stores around the country, uh, either in downtown locations or if not in, in shopping malls, where we would have access to a lot of people and, and, and passerbys. Right. So we kind of changed the, uh, the direction a little bit this time, and we concentrated more on this affinity group, in particular the sporting tribes, which we call them sporting tribes, which were also a younger demographic people who came from a certain, let's say, uh, social background because they were interested in tennis. They had uh, high spending power. They were interested in nutrition, in health, which were all messages that we were trying to communicate as well. So that's why we um, we chose to go this, this route. Right. And it's worked so far. So far it's worked. Uh, the, the, the numbers came back for 2000. 18 and we reached 100,000 people through um through certain activities and right. you know we've been reaching a lot more people uh with sampling and it's all about really putting the cheese into people's mouths i mean that's right. the it's crucial 
we can talk about cheese all we want. We can show pictures, but you know, until people don't taste it and see the quality and the flavor, they don't realize how good it is. Yeah. So those are the metrics that you guys are, you know, basing. You know, your KPIs are are how many people are actually tasting, you know, whatever cheese it is you have on site. Yeah, that's one of our KPIs. Otherwise, you know, obviously we do advertising, right. social media, so everything that's going on online. So there, there's several. Right. And so beyond that, right, are you, I mean, again, I just did some research before we hopped on the phone and last night, I mean, I noticed you're doing some stuff with influencers. Like what role does branded content, influencers, I know it's hard, you can't, you can't get people to taste the, the product through the internet, but is that also playing a role for you guys? Yes. So it's playing a role in all of my uh, activities here and, um, not only in the, in the European programs, but also at the French Cheese Board, where we have, um, we're lucky to have the space in New York, and we use it for, for everything we can. So we try to um, put together events, maybe one or two a week, uh, where we bring in influencers, uh, mostly foodie influencers, right. to try something new with a different partner. So we partner with a lot of different companies. I mentioned earlier tequila and whatnot, but also tea and, and food, you know, such as caviar or, right. or, you know, other types of products that we pair with cheese in order to give them something, something to talk about. We've also started working with uh, influencer platforms where we invite them, you know, we may invite the entire office, let's say, to come in and have a, a night out with us and, and experience the cheese and wine pairing. And we can talk about cheese and they can learn something new and then hopefully they'll, they'll communicate to their followers that way. Right. So we're trying to influence the influencers. How do you, how do you go from? And I just think this is an interesting kind of not just with you guys, but a lot of a lot of brands or a lot of you know uh, industries where the touch, feel, taste is required in order to you know, consciously change somebody's decision. Like, how do you go from that to getting people to try it? Like that to me is it's an intriguing kind of thought process of what that uh, what's I don't want to call it customer acquisition, but what that what that line is from seeing branded piece of content or an influencer piece of content to have them go to the store and actually purchase some cheese or taste the cheese or whatever it may be. Well, I think that the, you know, people who follow these influencers obviously respect their decisions or respect yeah. their, their opinion. So these people writing about us or showing a recipe on their Instagram or their Facebook can incite people to try them. So they'll, they'll go out and, and maybe try them at the supermarket or ask the cheesemonger for a sample. They might like it. They might try to replicate that recipe at home. Right. Uh, you know, we try to communicate on very simple recipes, uh, mac and cheese, but you know, elevated with French cheese to make it tastier, a little bit more sophisticated. A burger with uh, Bleu d'Auvergne or Fomme d'Ambert, which are these wonderful blue cheeses. Yep. So these are not very complicated recipes to um, to make at home but it gives and sparks interest uh, in the consumer to maybe try something different. Because they're buying um, the cheese anyway for it. I mean, basically, they're, they're going to the store, they're making a cheese purchase, whether it's a French cheese or not. You just want them to consider when they're making a cheese purchase a French cheese. Yeah, I mean, our communication right. throughout is, you know, make it magnifique. So the idea is to use cheese, in particular French cheese, to elevate their, their everyday Diet, yeah. everyday recipes. Yeah. Let me ask you a question on the influencer side, right? Because this is—it's one that we we talk a lot about, which is you know the the volume versus the influence, right? Like the guys that mm -hmm. I represent, 
are chef chefs, right? They're not really influencer personalities, meaning they haven't built their social following based on content creation or, or wanting to become a social media star, right? Ludo's got 130 some odd thousand Instagram followers, but he's a restaurant chef, right? He does right. a lot of his other stuff outside it, but his, his sphere of influence is not, hey, I'm going to go post, you know, 15 pieces of content a week with the idea of getting X amount of followers. Like he gets followers, great. If he doesn't get followers, that's fine as well. How do you guys make right. that decision between volume, meaning how many followers they have, or how do you analyze it versus influence, sphere of influence? Right? Like for me, if Ludo puts out a you know a croque madame or croque recipe, right, or even shows a picture of a croque with you know a, a French cheese in there, and he's got one hundred thirty thousand followers, and and an influencer with five hundred thousand followers puts out. A recipe. I would hope, and, I, and again, I'm, I'm curious that Ludo's sphere of influence, because he is an actually, you know, award-winning chef who's been doing this for 30 years, would have more influence over an influencer that's just been doing this for a couple, and they're just, you know, an influencer. I think it's uh, it's a question of audience, and and that's something that you know, interesting you bring it up because that's the strategy that we're taking for our our newest campaign, which is a butter campaign. And for the butter, we're, we're teaming up with chefs in order for them to communicate to other chefs. Since butter is used a lot as an ingredient, yeah. and butter can also elevate dishes uh, in a certain way. So for that campaign, we are targeting chefs and not necessarily, you know, chefs with a lot of a, a big following, but chefs that, that are important to other chefs and other chefs follow. Um, as far as the influences that we that we use here in New York, for instance, we're, we're concentrating always more on micro influencers. Right. But since we have a space in New York, we're able to bring them in every week, so we are able to touch a lot of people uh, that way. We're now looking at other. We're going to be looking at other ways of working with influencers in uh, in April, where maybe we're going to um, start working with platforms of of companies that represent a lot of influencers and you can kind of pick and choose who you want to work with, uh, right. which is another way that we haven't really tried yet. And then the third way is working a lot with content uh, online, uh, working with influencers that might be more relevant on YouTube or, or Vimeo or, you know, they're creating videos that might have a connection with us and helping them to produce, helping them to, um, to grow and by doing so, help us reach their followers as well. So real content producers. I, I, I think that, yeah. for me, you know, again, if you're not an expert, right, uh, a Ludo or, a, you know, again, I, it bothers me that there's like 12-year-old girls that are makeup experts, quote-unquote experts, you know, that mm -hmm. have a couple million followers. And then you've got somebody like Bobby Brown who's been doing this for 40 years, doesn't have the same influence as, you know, to a 12-year-old girl that this, 12 year old other 12 year old girl on, on Instagram has for me. Right. It bothers me. Right. Cause like, again, if, if my daughter's going to start learning how to put on makeup, I, I would hope that she would <laughs> learn from somebody that's been doing it for 40 years and is arguably the best in the world versus yeah. a peer of hers. Right. That doesn't really know her ass from her elbow. Um, <laughs> but regardless, I think that the I color, hear you. Yeah. And it's, it's frustrating to me. Right. Again, I, I feel yeah. the same way as I don't think there's anybody better in the United States then Ludo Lefebvre to talk about French cheese or French butter. I just don't think there is. Right. I mean, again, 
Can you go to Danielle? Can you go to Jean George? Can you go to Eric Repair? A hundred percent. Those guys are all just as good as Ludo. But Ludo's right there. Like to have an influencer that that's a I don't know, whatever a home cook, but that's not their world, right? To talk about how amazing butter is, like until they've actually gone to France, put their hands in the butter, and understood where it come from. Like I just don't feel like they've got the same level of knowledge. That doesn't mean that they don't yeah. have the same level of influence, right? Because again, there's a lot of people out there that are are making decisions based on what they're seeing online. But to get to your point, I think the content producers, real content producers, and you might as well call them writers, are the future, right? You know, people right. that are, are are creating videos on YouTube or creating Instagram posts that are not necessarily just about food shots, right? Because if, if your whole Instagram feed is just pictures of food, you're not an influencer, you're a photographer, right? Like, right, that's right. what you do for a living, right? You take pictures of food and you figure out on the back end how to socialize them. The real good ones are, are like, again, content producers, they're writing out their skits. They're shooting it in a certain way. They're only doing two a week because it's hard-ass work to do, right? I think yeah. – I hope that's where the future is because then you start to separate people who are actually really good at it versus people who are just doing shitloads of volume and know how to how to manipulate the back-end system of these social platforms. Right. No, I agree, and that's the direction we're taking as well. Uh, we've been doing it already as much as we can here in New York with uh, – you know, through television, through Facebook right. Live, through a lot of platforms that um that do that type of content, and and they come in, they learn about how to cut different cheeses, how to uh, taste different cheeses, how to create a cheese board, and this is all information that could be useful. Yeah. For anybody who's trying to have you know uh, inviting people over or or for you know, for the holidays, etc. Awesome. So what else, man? What, what do you think the future of this industry is? I mean, again, my guess is you're getting, you're seeing a lot of opportunities out there, right? Be that events. Again, I don't know if it's sports or festivals. Like, what, what's your thought on food festivals? Like, is it a good place for you guys? Is it valuable? Yeah, um, you know, we've tried. We did South by Southwest once. We've done a lot of our own pop-up stores. We, we don't like to be part of a bigger festival we actually like to do our own thing right and to be the focus uh for the consumer so that was the good thing about doing our own pop-ups was that we had these beautiful setups in you know downtowns or like i said in malls and in big uh markets and it worked for a while but we were only touching maybe you know two thousand people during uh for a couple of days on a weekend there wasn't enough the audience there but the audience we have to drive the audience right Right. The audience was there in a way because they were at the mall, so they were already going to the mall to shop for right. something else, maybe, and then they discovered us. And obviously, there was all the work beforehand with social, with PR, with you know trying to drive traffic to us during the couple of days we were going to be there. But it was, uh, it was you know, we realized now that we're doing the U.S. Open that it was nothing compared to how many people we were touching today. Right. Um, so... You know, we did we did South by Southwest, like I mentioned, and to be honest with you, you know, people weren't there for food, at, at least not when we did it. Right. So people would walk in, they would stuff their mouth with cheese and uh, walk away, and there was no real communication. We didn't have time to talk to these people because they were there for other reasons. Um, and then other food festivals, uh, like I said, we don't really do much of them. You know? right. So we're concentrating on. Um, on the U.S. Open for now, for the next two years uh, at least. That's what you're, you guys have a, a, a multi-year partnership with those guys. 
Yeah, these uh, these campaigns are all three year campaigns. Awesome. Um, what yeah. what else you seen out there? I mean, what are the what are the things that we haven't touched upon right now that you think may be I don't want to call it the future, right? But just really interesting kind of ways to reach this food connected consumer right now. I think that um, in in the U.S. market, there's still a lot of work to do. Um, People on the coast may know a little bit about cheese, but when you start start realizing that there's still so many people who have never tasted them, who have not been exposed to them, who don't have access to them. So there's still plenty of work here uh, in my other markets, such as Brazil, uh, Colombia, Mexico. I deal with a different clientele. It's more like the 1%. So the messages are different. The communication is right. a little bit different to them. Uh, it's more of an elite crowd that have traveled, that have a, a palate that is uh, more adventurous than the regular consumer, which eats uh, a lot of fresh cheese and has never tasted uh, aged cheese, which is yeah. a big difference. And, and flavor-wise, it's a world apart. So that's also a big learning curve down there. Um, so I think, uh, you know, we're we're... Here in the U.S., we're supporting the the American Cheese Society. I know all the French companies are present during those events to really try to raise awareness on cheese in general and and teach the the American consumer what's out there. Um, American producers are producing great artisan cheeses as well. So it's you know we're we're all elevating the category, uh, which is the number one category right now in specialty food and has been for the past uh, fifteen years. Yeah. You know, it's funny, you, you said middle of the country, whatever, 15 minutes ago, and I wrote a note to it. I think that's a really intriguing, <clears throat> it's an intriguing notion. And by the way, you're not alone, right? We always, I, I talk to people that, you know, all the time about this. Like, we live in this bubble in New York, Miami, L.A., Chicago, Boston, San Fran. And we think that's the way it really is because, you know, we, we think we're the, you know, we're, we live in the coast. We live in these metropolitan markets. Um, but it's not really what America is made up of. I mean, the middle of the country right. is driving so much of this. And I think to your point, at least what makes me excited about this industry is that there's so many food connected people between the coasts that are curious, that are interested. And whether yeah. they're interested in, you know, a cooking show or trying a new type of brie or learning how to work with or the difference between a French butter and, you know, an American butter, like that to me, mm-hmm. to your point, is a massive opportunity it, but they, they don't have access although listen the internet flattens things a lot you know I, i'm sure yeah. you could purchase you know french cheese you know in, in a thousand places online whether that be gold belly or whole foods direct or fresh direct here in the u.s or you know yeah. however many of these amazon you know, Murray's exactly or, right yeah. so i think yeah. the idea of yeah. being able to communicate to that middle part of the country, not just for you guys, but a lot of brands tend to forget. I mean, I had this conversation with, there's a company called Little Spoon, which is a a healthy baby food, right? That's just really good for you. And, you know, they focused on launching in New York City and a couple of these bigger markets, but, you know, 70% of their business is actually middle America. 70%, right? And that's a huge chunk. But you you have to spend time and energy and focus communicating to that part of the country that are not based in these metropolitan areas. Right. No, I agree. And I think that, um, you know, we see that restaurants or there are, there are pockets in, in, in the middle of the country that are growing. You hear about restaurants that are opening up that are top notch. And so all these markets are evolving and, and, you know, they're, 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 they'll catch up. 
Drop the drop. And like you said, now it's, you know, it's accessible to order all these things online. Right, right. And listen, access to ingredients is the most important thing for restaurants. And we're all right. fooling ourselves if we don't think that some of the best ingredients, be that meat or, or produce, are coming from the middle of the country. They are. Yes. Right. So if they they're are. close, if they're closer to the source, right, and you've got chefs that are, you know, understand that. I mean, those restaurants in the middle of the country, some of them, you know, to your point, are, are starting to get the no, the notoriety that they deserve. Yes. Um, Very much so. Well, listen, man, th- this was awesome. I, I appreciate the time. Um, you know, I'm glad that we had a chance to to hop on the phone and and uh, and talk about kind of what you're doing at the French Dairy Board. Um, you know, kind of the way that you guys look at approaching this market. So I, I really appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thanks for having me. All right. That was my conversation with Charles Duke, the managing director of the French Dairy Board. Um, if you need more information on culinary marketing, you can check our website at theconnectgrp.com. Or if you want to chat with me or shoot me an email, uh, my email address is lsweet at theconnectgrp.com. As always, we're going to be releasing new podcast episodes every other week, so keep uh, checking in and uh, appreciate the time. Thanks. Thanks.